Hi, welcome back to the Commission Podcast. My name is Adam. I run the media and comms here at Commission London, and I'm joined by the Director of Church Planning, Perks. We want to give you a taste of what it's like to start new churches with interviews with church planters from around the city. We'll talk to our own planters in the network, and we'll also talk to like-minded ministry partners, people who, like us, share a heart for reaching the lost of our city. Along the way, we'll hear repeated stories of godly people stepping up to get these plants off the ground. We'll hear stories of answered prayers and God opening and closing doors as he guides his mission. And most importantly, we'll hear stories of people brought to saving faith through the evangelistic activity of ordinary Christian men and women. It's going to be encouraging. Perks, or Richard Perkins, as he's known by his birth name. <laughs> Hi, Perks. Adam, hi. You're right. Welcome back. To, I'm doing fan. Welcome back to the country. Thank you. A fantastic uh, time away uh, with family in the states for the holidays, and uh, I'm glad to be back and working for the Lord here in London. It's good to have you back. So we're chatting with Alex Brito from Mosaic Multicultural Church. Do you want to give a bit of an intro to Alex? So yeah, Alex gives us a, a bit of detail, a bit of biographical detail uh, in in our discussion, but uh, he came over in 2015 with uh, Aluana. They came from Brazil, and uh, they are a family with three daughters. Uh, Alex, theologically trained, uh, came over here with the intentionality of trying to plant a multicultural or intercultural church in London. Mm. Well, we hope you enjoy. Alex, a very warm welcome. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Um, Tell us about yourself and your family, just to begin with. Yeah, so I I was born and brought up in Brazil, um, my home country. Got married in 2003 uh, with Aluana. We've got three kids. Zara is now 16. Hannah is six. And Mai is a year old. Yeah, beautiful family. So I came in 2003 as an international student with a clear plan of staying here for a short period of time. But you know how... God changed plans. Um, so we, we ended up living here for six years and Zara was born between that period of time. So you came as an international student. That's right. It's interesting on that one because in one sense, that time is the reason you're now back again. Yeah, that's right. Tell us what happened in, the, in that six years. So let me just take a step back. Yeah. Um, so I, I grew up in a Christian home. I've got parents who love Jesus. And I've got an uncle who was a church planter when I was a child. My parents decided to help him. We would drive two hours uh, to get to, to the town where he was planting a church, a very difficult place. Um, and I'm going to be honest, I did not like that. Spending the weekend in a, in a town that it was not mine, far away from my friends. And looking at my uncle going through so much struggles, suffering, I never understood that. I mean, I ask myself all the time, why someone so bright, so intelligent like my uncle would go through so much mm. suffering if we are saved by grace? He doesn't need to earn his salvation. So I left church at the age of 15 um, and I lived a wild life and I meant it, um, a wild life. So I came to London in 2003, far away from Jesus but my mom sent me the Pilgrim's Progress book. And at that time, I did not like fiction, but I didn't have much to do. I read that book, Perks. Wow. And it blew my mind. I read it again. And as I was reading, I kept checking the Bible. 
And I felt in love with Jesus, began sharing the gospel with everyone I could get hold of. <laughs> How old are you at that point? So I was 21 at that time. Yeah. 21, full yeah. of Jesus. Fantastic. So you came as an international student. Mm -hmm. Language learning or? Language. Yeah. So yeah, my English, zero, zero. Mm -hmm. Couldn't speak English at all. I could say hi, thank you. So the Pilgrim's Progress you read was in Portuguese. In Portuguese. <laughs> Can you believe it? I came from Brazil to read the Pilgrim's Progress here. Yep. I mean, I wish I had read it in Bedford. It would be remarkable. <laughs> <laughs> and so you did language learning for a bit and converted gloriously, wonderfully brought back to the Lord. And what did you get involved in at that point? Ch so church-wise, did you know where to go? Did you find a Portuguese church? So there was a Baptist church next to my house. I would go there. Uh, but just should nod my head. Yeah. I could not understand what they were saying. But I kept going. And in the meantime, I was sharing the Bible, the gospel with Portuguese speakers who were living in the same house where I was living. Mm. And as a result, I kept reading the Bible with them week after week. After a period of 12 months, um, we had a group of 15 Portuguese speakers reading the Bible with me. And I realized that that was not just a Bible study, because I was giving more than Bible studies. I was helping them to deal with issues they were facing, um, giving some counseling, helping them with their discipleship and walk with the Lord. So I knew what, what that was. It was a church plant. Yeah. And so, you, I mean, you, in one sense, freshly converted or brought back to the law, but clearly drawing on a heritage of biblical instruction and discipleship by your parents and by your uncle. That's right. So tell us what happened with that unintentional church plant, the kind of unwieldy you know, Christianity Explored that grew into a Bible study that grew into a gathering. So after a year, I realized that was, that was more than a Bible study, it was a church so I approached um, a Portuguese-speaking church in London and I said, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Can you come and help us? Um, so yeah, uh, we began a kind of partnership with this uh, Portuguese-speaking church and things were flourishing. Um, the church began growing. Uh, we reached a point to, uh, that we had 40 uh, people on a Sunday. People were getting baptized, including a Hungarian lady. Wow. And that, that had a huge impact in my life because as my English was improving, and at that time I was already taking a kind of theological training here in London, I began sharing the gospel not only with Portuguese speakers, but with anyone I could, I could share the gospel with. People from Poland, Italy, Pakistan. <laughs> and this Hungarian lady, she did not want to go to an English-speaking church. She really liked me and my wife. So she said, no, I want to stay with you guys. Yeah. So she would come to this Portuguese-speaking church. And after a while, I, I felt uncomfortable with that. Why, why, are we, <laughs> why are we doing this in Portuguese if we could be doing this in English? Mm and bringing friends from different backgrounds to be part of this. So one day I just sat down with the leadership of the church and I said, could we become a kind of intercultural church, an English-speaking church? We could be helping those who can't speak English by offering English classes. 
if I learn, anyone can learn English. <laughs> but yeah, but the church was growing. So the leadership of the church thought um, that might not be a wise move. Mm. So they decided to continue being a, um, a kind of monocultural Portuguese speaking church. I'm driven by, comp uh, by passion, by conviction, brother. So I decided to step down at that time. I couldn't see myself doing that. And at that time, I decided to move back to Brazil. What's striking for me, just in your observation, is that the Hungarian lady, minority culture, finds kinship, belonging with a, another group who are also a minority culture in, in a majority culture city like London, which is, I think, informs what you then go on to with Mosaic. That's right. You, you sort of think, why didn't she get involved in a local English-speaking church? She's here, it, she's come to England, she's come to London, but actually... There's that sense of, I don't belong here, and these guys don't belong here either, mm -hmm. but together we don't belong together. Mm -hmm. It's just a really striking yeah. dynamic, yeah. I, I would imagine. Yeah. So back to Brazil, a bit of uh, theological training under your belt from here. Mm -hmm. Did you do any further theology? Oh, yeah, no, no. In? So yeah, when I moved back to Brazil, I had a clear plan in mind. I don't want to get involved with ministry again. <laughs> so for a whole year, I would run away from any kind of suggestion. So what you've understated is the sense of frustration you must have felt in wanting to take the church in a particular direction. That's right. For evangelistic reasons and a, the church eldership deciding not to do that. Mm -hmm. I think there's, you know, I think we can all imagine ourselves into that situation. But I mean, in one sense, it, I think it's commendable that actually you did submit to the decision of an eldership. For sure. And, and what's interesting is that even in those early days, together with the church, the Portuguese church in, in London, you established, you know, multiple male leadership in place, for, for, even for a fledgling congregation, which is, which is good, um, even if the decision they made wasn't one that you wanted. So back, back in a huff to Brazil. When I moved back to Brazil, I had an option. Going back to, to the church where I grew up, I'm one of those mega churches or joining a smaller church or maybe a church plant that I could help because I know how important it is to be helping um, a small church. So instead of going back to my big church, I decided to join a church plant. <laughs> <laughs> and the church plant one day, he said, Alex, could you preach in a month for us? And I thought, yeah, I know, I know how to use the tools. I know how to prepare a sermon. Why not? So I, and he said, you can pick your text. For some reason, I still don't know why, I picked Matthew 9. And as I was preaching perks, I still remember that day, people were sleeping. It was boring. <laughs> but deep inside, I was burning. I was crying. Because it's the passage that Jesus looks at the crowd and he says to his disciples that they are, they are like sheep without a shepherd. Mm. And he tells his disciples to pray for more workers. So I was preaching to myself. And from that, that day on, I decided to get back to ministry. I remember preaching that sermon on Sunday and approaching the church plant at the past on, on Monday to say, I need, get, I need to get back to seminary. Yeah. Um, and he said, well, I think you should. <laughs> and a week after, I went to a local Baptist seminary and I introduced myself to the principal and he said, I've been waiting for you for a long time here. Wow. Yeah. So um, in the meantime, my big mega home church was looking for 
planters to try to revitalize or replant one of their congregations. So they invited me and my uncle, who was retired at that time, and we both accepted the challenge, and we decided to replant a church together. So that's what we did for six years mm. before I moved back to London. So how old were you at this point? I was still in my 20s, yeah. Yeah, heading to... Yeah, With an yeah. older guy who you trusted. My uncle, great trainer, the kind of guy who would invest a lot of his time in guys like me. That sounds like an ideal scenario. Mm. You think married, a daughter, an opportunity to be involved in a ministry with a, a guy who could mentor you, who you trusted, theologically trained, you know, the dream. Mm. And in Brazil, where the sun yeah. shines. <laughs> Why on earth would you throw it all away and come to London? What was going on there? By 2014, the church that my uncle and I uh, were replanted, it was becoming more and more established my uncle wanted to know if I was going to take over and lead that church on my own because, come on, he, he was getting older and older. And because of the desire I had to, to see an intercultural church being planted here in London, maybe because I did not see that happening a few years before, I couldn't see myself in Brazil. So it felt like unfinished business. It was. Yeah. Okay. I, I, just to give you, just to give an idea how disturbing it was during that time I was in Brazil, I would sleep and I would dream that I was here in London, mm. doing ministry in London. I had this dream many, many times. <laughs> so it was a deep desire to come back here. So I kept, uh, I, I made it clear to my mother church. I made it clear to the church that we, we were establishing that it was not my intention to be there mm. for good. I wanted to come back to London to plant a church that could be reaching out uh, the nations here. So, yeah, and that's my connection with Commission. A friend of mine who is one of the pastors of Commission, one of the churches uh, that belong to Commission, he knew I was trying to come back and he put me in contact with Commission. As I wanted to come in 2014, you, you were having a kind of Bible festival, Revive. And I got to know a lot of other pastors and churches. And I knew for sure, well, commission is not the way to get to London. It's going to be my family. I love what they're doing. But it took a whole year to get, um, to get back here. So from 2014 to 2015, I was just waiting, waiting and waiting. So 2015, you arrive with Alawana, with Zara. I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to plant an intercultural church that reaches the nations with an English-speaking church and you know, a great desire to try to reach people who otherwise wouldn't be reached with the gospel. So the sense of marginalisation, not predominantly being socioeconomic, but just being, I don't belong here. This has not been my historic home. It is my home for now. I feel displaced, particularly concerned for those. So how are you going to do that? What was the plan? The plan was to engage with anyone. I did not want to grow out of a kind of church transfer. Yeah. So I would, I would avoid <laughs> um, getting contact with Christians to try to recruit them to join us. We were planting from scratch. Yeah, and I think that's worth highlighting. In other words, you weren't doing a congregational model where you took a group of people from one church. You weren't looking for transfer growth no. and recruiting a launch team from other existing churches or with Christians. This really was 
entrepreneurial, pioneering, trying to evangelize a church into existence. Risking. Yeah. 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 Uncertain. Uncertain. I mean, properly yeah. uncertain. Yeah. Yeah. But knowing that God is sovereign. Uh, amen. That's why, that's why I take risks. Yeah. I, I love taking risks because God gets the glory. But anyway, so yeah, I began engaging with people. Um, initially, we, we thought, what are the needs in the community, especially among migrants, those who come from abroad, um, economic migrants? Um, and one of the needs was the language. They needed to learn the language. And I've been there. Mm. <laughs> I've been there and I know the challenge. I know the difficulties. So we began helping people by offering them English classes. And I remember every six months, we would have 50 students study English with us. And that, that became one of the ways we began to engage with people from different backgrounds. So we, I think at that time, from 2015 to 2017, we engaged with more than 350 people from 13 different countries. Mm -hmm. Some of them became friends. Those friends were invited to take Bible studies with us. And that's how we began. We began by engaging, by uh, uh, meeting a need, building friendships. And as we build those friendships, we, we try to introduce our big friend Jesus to them. And where were you doing that? So we, we were in Croydon at that time because, again, we were planting from scratch. We did not have people to help. We did not have money <laughs> to be hiring a building, things like that. So we did everything at home. See, it's interesting. So Croydon, you know, it's got, it's got a city centre. That's right. What's critical, of course, is it, it's where a lot of immigrants will come initially. Yeah, a lot of refugees would yeah, be around. And lots of places around it that are part of, that are almost a suburb of Croydon. So not a bad place That's to, right. to base yourselves yeah. initially. So doing language, language classes, filtering people through, through friendship to come be part of a Bible study. That's right. And, and, and what was the plan to sort of, once it's, that's brilliant, but, but what came after that? How was the church going to be built? The expectation was that some of these friends would become Christians and then we would gather a kind of core team to launch publicly one day. Yeah. Plans are really good on, on paper. And although we had a good plan and we had the numbers, mm. believe it or not, none of them became Christians. Mm. Apart from a family, but they, uh, I wouldn't say they, they became Christians through our ministry. Uh, they became Christians through different people, but they were very young in their journey. And they decided to stay with us. So this family said, no, we want to see this dream of an intercultural church becoming a reality, and we are here to help you, Alex. And they began challenging us. Why, why are we here? Is this the place where we're going to be planting mosaic? Um, and uh, as a result of that conversation, we then decided to actually relocate to, to Elephant and Castle and to get ready to a public launch. I mean, I've known you since 2015. I've seen what's happened and the extraordinary design and implementation of a pathway that brings people in through English language classes, sort of Christianity Explored Bible study to a Sunday meeting. And I've seen you guys toil away at that and to do so prayerfully and wonderfully. But I think in the early days, you were frustrated or your plans were frustrated 
by the way in which economic migrants think and work. Mm -hmm. In other words, unless you're converted and discipled, the odds are you won't make decisions that are shaped by the kingdom. So people were on this trajectory towards conversion, you hope, and yet someone offers them a job, someone offers them a house, they're off. So you guys were, in one sense, you were hamstrung by the mobility of a migrant population That's right. who, who, for whom their pressing needs were somewhere to live mm-hmm. and, and food over, you know, roof over my, my, my head and food on my table, therefore mm-hmm. I need a job. Mm-hmm. So the move to central London made sense in as much as you could potentially access it. Was that a key driver for you? And also um, because we realized we need to be not only engaged with those economic migrants, but with people who actually want to stay here for good. Mm. So um, although Elephant in Castle is in central London, there is a huge community that is strong mm. and community, a lot of residents, people who they are going to be there for their entire lives. Mm. And that was the, one of the reasons why we decided to launch publicly in Elephant and Castle, besides the diversity. So if we, if we want to be an intercultural church, well, Elephant and Castle is the place. It's extremely diverse. So you've gone from, in one sense, a network church plant That's right. to a neighborhood church Correct. plant. So you've gone from trying to access, access a sociological network of essentially mm-hmm. migrants That's who, right. are, who feel displaced, not at home to a location, a neighborhood, Elephant and Castle. That's right. But which happens to be a multicultural melting pot. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So um, give us a flavor. I'm a geek when it comes to places in London. So uh-huh. I, and you guys, you know it way better than I do, but uh-huh. what's it like? Well, Who's there? Yeah, um, everyone is there. So it, it's super diverse. There is a huge Latin American community. A lot of them don't actually live in the area anymore, but it is still a hub for yeah. them. Yeah. A lot of Afro-Caribbeans um, who actually grew up there because of the regeneration and some would call it a gentrification is becoming an affluent place. Mm. So there are a lot of people moving in from a totally different economic background. But at the same time, you still have a kind of working class there. You still have some council estates. Yeah. So there are a lot of diversity, not only between people from different nations, but also from different socioeconomic backgrounds. Have you got much multi-generational stuff there? Are there yeah. You've obviously got, you know, you've got some families with kids because there are primary schools there. Is there a sort of post-retirement community or have they all been moved out? No, there are a lot. And this is one of the issues in the area. So loneliness is, it's huge in the area. So some of these buildings, they are full of the elderly who are on their own. So yeah, there is an entire building that are mainly for the elderly and they try to run community projects within this building in order to be helping them. Somehow we got involved with some of these projects in the past. But you also have a lot of international students. So we are not far from SoftBank University, London School of Communication. So a lot of Japanese and Chinese in the area. It's a melting pot, yeah. brother. And, and it's interesting. I, I mean, I remember taking our kids up to the Elephant and Castle shopping center to buy 
that actually Rossum would take them for school shoes, but also upstairs there used to be a temp in bowling thing. <laughs> so we used to do that. We go on the on the one five nine from Streatham up there. That that is demolished. I uh, mean, yes. You know, I, I got the train into the Blackfriars the other day. It's just a hoofing great hole where the shopping centre used to be. Um, so the plan is to have a high street there. So the whole area is going to be changed. And just to clarify, Elephant Castle is in Southwark, but it's not a ward. So it's okay. even hard to to explain what Elephant Castle so is. It, it's just a name. Is it right? Is that yeah, right? So yeah. it doesn't actually exist as a place. Yeah, it's just a name. And because of the regeneration, now we've got the Elephant and Park. Yeah. But it's still... Yeah, something hard to, to describe. So when you're thinking about statistics, you need to be very clear about what you mean by elephant in car. So what, what are the roads you're picking on a map in order to even come up with these statistics? And I guess one of the reasons why young professionals might live in the, the brand new swanky flats that have gone up is because of its proximity, particularly mm-hmm. to the city. What are you, Yeah, I mean, what is that? 10 minutes on the underground, yeah, you know, a yeah, few minutes on a yeah, bus, yeah. cycle, walk. Yeah, you can be in London Bridge on 13, 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. Are you zone one there or zone two? Zone one. Yeah. Zone one, yeah. yeah. Yeah, extraordinary, isn't it? So you guys are in Elephant and Castle now. Mm-hmm. And gospel ministry, the New Testament is pretty clear. There are going to be joys and delights, but also frustrations. It's hard. What's been difficult about trying to plant a church in Elephant and Castle? Yeah, one of, one of the... Difficulties is when you you put a lot of hope on people, <laughs> so you want to establish a church. As a church planter, you don't just want to engage and evangelize people. You want to establish it, and you want to be equipping new leaders so that one day we may be able to export some of them to plant new churches. Right? That's that's. And just it's worth saying you've deliberately used five E's there. That's right. You? Yeah. So, we, so they were, if I've got this right, engage, evangelize, establish, equip, and export. That's right. Yeah. You're, so this you're is a very these clear are the, thinker, Alex. <laughs> well, that came from you. No, I'm not sure it did. <laughs> I, I, if it did, I nicked it from somewhere else. I've been extremely blessed by the workshops that Co-Mission offer offers to church planters. Anyway, that came from one of those workshops. Yeah, yeah the vine, it's the Vine Project. The Vine Project. So going back to the intentionality, um, I keep at the back of my mind that we need to multiply. So I'm always anxious <laughs> in a biblical way. Yeah. I think we need to have godly ambitions. I, j- I want to see more church being planted. So it's very frustrating when you put a lot of hope on certain people and and you know how life is. <laughs> um, sometimes they can't stay with you forever. So that, that's one of the difficulties when you invest a lot of time, money, and people leave you. And again, it's not that they are evil, bad people. It's just the, the nature of life, isn't it? Um, we are and always, particularly in a zone one correct, context. I mean, correct. I would say it's like doing river, uh, ministry in a river rather than ministering a canal. A canal is stagnant, it doesn't move, you've got four generations, whereas you guys have got people coming and people leaving. That's right. And in one sense, that's the joy, isn't it? But in that, it means that you're preparing for ministry. You're often preparing people for ministry elsewhere. Their that's kingdom right. impact may not be seen in, in, um, in Elephant and Castle, but may be seen elsewhere. Tell us about the family, for example, who are, who are now overseas having an impact for the kingdom. As we were engaged with people in Elephant Castle, we met this family who live actually in the mid of Elephant Castle. And they came to one of our international cafes one night and 
um, initially they would say they were coming just to improve their English. They were very open and honest and I love that. But recently they gave their lives to Jesus and I was extremely excited about it. Three years, Perks. <laughs> it took three years for this family to actually yeah, come to the Lord. But then they also told us, uh, we decided to move to Portugal. <laughs> I don't blame them. Uh, the weather is much nicer there. But one thing they said was, Alex, we loved being part of a church plant. And Gian, he's half Brazilian, half Italian. He said, I would love to get involved with church plant in the future. If, if God calls me to plant a church, um, would you please be able to help us to get there? So yeah, they are now in Portugal trying to find a church plant they can join in order to help it, uh, this church plant. But with this in mind, they, they really want to be church planters in the future and they are taking one of our trainings. So Commission offers this bivocational church planting training and they are taking it as just to observe, just to be meeting with other uh, planters. So it is said on a hand, it's, oh, come on. Yeah. Uh, they would be helping us here so much. But at the same time, well, if they help another church plant or someone else, or if they plant a church in the future, wow, it was worthy <laughs> all the hard work we had here in London. I'll be happy with, yeah. with that. I mean, that's a win. It it's, is. And, I mean, it, it's not a win for you. It's a win for the kingdom. But, and, and it's that, all about him, isn't it? It's all about Jesus. So, and that's yeah, it's hard a though, isn't it? I it mean, is, it, yeah. it is hard, isn't it? it because is. you're trying to establish a work in Elephant and Castle that can continue and that this becomes more commonplace. But wonderful for the kingdom, wonderful for Portugal. That's right. Not, not <laughs> ideal for Mosaic. Just um, on, on Mosaic, um, go, go, tell us why the name. I wanted to clarify that I was not moving from Brazil to come here and plant a Portuguese-speaking church. And I know it will be easier to be planting a Portuguese-speaking church. I could be attracting Brazilians, Portuguese speakers. But I came with this clear vision of establishing an intercultural church, thinking about the second generation, especially here. Yeah. Um, during my time planting a Portuguese-speaking church, I could see that the second generation, they were, they were there because of their faction with their parents, but not, not Jesus. So mosaic, um, it's a piece of art, isn't it? Broken pieces that you put together to form something beautiful. So we want to use the name just to clarify that we are all broken people being uh, glued, coming together because of Jesus. Mm. Yeah, Jesus is the one who brings these different broken pieces together to form something, be something beautiful, um, the church. It's brilliant. It's wonderful. Thank you for that. Yeah, so we've talked about some of the difficulties that you faced. What are some of the joys? What are the some of the things that have sustained you and Alawana in particular? God always gave us what we need, Perks. So we haven't seen a massive growth I'm still frustrated. Mm. I'm a planter. I want to see multiplication. And during the pandemic, I had to become a pastor. There was nothing I could be doing apart from looking after people. Mm. So somehow I saw something positive and there was a kind of growth at that period of time. <laughs> yeah, seeing people growing, spiritually speaking, um, and taking some steps towards engagement, people engaging with their friends, evangelizing some of these friends, 
with real intentionality without relying on me <laughs> to do that. I love being with you guys a few weeks ago. Um, I mean, you are a wonderfully eclectic congregation from people from all over. Uh, it was really good for me as well, just in terms of, uh, to use, I think, J.C. Ra's phrase of crucifying my style. So in other words, preaching and having to be really simple and really clear. So in one sense, not hoping that people might understand, but make, trying to make it absolutely sure that people couldn't misunderstand me. And actually, that's harder. Uh, you know, I think my sermon took longer to prepare because of that. And you're going through that every week. Every week. Not only, only when I'm preaching, every single kind of communication could be a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. The miscommunication. Mis yeah. Uh, so those who are involved in intercultural church will, will get that easily. So the, the number of clashes you face on a weekly basis is just overwhelming. Through those kind of <laughs> unintended misunderstandings. Yeah. Yeah. Needs yeah. to be a lot of love in the room. That's right. A lot of forgiveness, a lot of forgiveness. Uh, if, you, if you're not ready to forgive people, you can't be part of the church. You just leave on day one. <laughs> You're going to get offended somehow yeah, yeah. just by being there with us for 10 minutes. Well, why did this person say what it was said right now? Um, yeah. yeah, a lot of miscommunications. Mis, um, but it's fun because that's, that's, that's what we want to see. We want to see people forgiving one another. Mm. That reflects the gospel. Um, it's painful. It's hard. Again, at the back of my mind, I want to see multiplication. Mm. And when you have to be dealing with conflicts, it, it takes a lot of your time. It doesn't always feel like progress. That's right. One of the things is, I mean, I think you know that I'm full of admiration for you and what you guys are trying to do there. And I'm not alone in that. And I think it's been wonderful. I, think, I can think of two families who are throwing their lot in with you in slightly different ways because what they see they value and they want to support. Why don't you tell us a little bit about them? Oh, yeah, they, I mean, yeah, if we think about the laws, uh, they joined us two years ago. Um, they came from established church. There was no reason for them to be leaving. <laughs> established church, mm. very close to their house. Yeah. Um, but they decided to, to join us. Yeah, and it's been a blessing. It's been encouraging to have other Christians with us and to be honest, that's what I needed. Yeah. Because although I wanted to see a church growing out of evangelism, a church plant is the kind of project that it can become a burden if you try to carry it on your own. Yeah. So it was just refreshing. Mm. Yeah, they, they understood what you were trying to do. They believed in that. And what's interesting for them is there's a sense in which the international emphasis uh, was their heartbeat as well, because Jeff works for Friends International, so it's what his life has been about. They were missionaries for yeah. 80 years yeah. in Peru. Okay. So it, it was the perfect family um, to join us. I did not have to <laughs> explain over and over again what we were doing. They yeah. joined us because they knew what we were doing, and they believe in it, and they are making huge sacrifices mm. to do what they are doing. I love seeing them running a Bible study at the end of church, just... To, to, yeah. you know, clarifying and going further on mm -hmm. probably just correcting 
mistakes I'd made in my sermon, which, for which I'm very but grateful. But not only you, but brother. <laughs> they, they do that on a weekly basis about my sermon as well. <laughs> so that's the lows. Tell us about the Martins. Yeah, the Martins are um, are planning to join us in August, God willing. So they are raising funds right now. They found us online. They wanted to come to London um, to do ministry here. They were trying to find a kind of intercultural church. They're going to be taking a kind of internship. So Mike is going to be taking a theological training at the Uni School of Theology during the time he's here in London. Is he doing that through 83? 83, yeah, yeah. yeah. And who knows? Mm. Who knows? Um, we, we still haven't got a kind of clear plan, but if they decide to stay here for the long run, well, after being with us, who knows? They yeah, could yeah. be part of Mosaic for a long period of time or they could decide to plant another church. It's very exciting. Yeah. I mean, it's the answer of my prayers. And yeah, I'm looking forward to to see what God will do. It's been good to get to know them a little bit. You made mention earlier of the biovocational training, which we, uh-huh. you and I are involved with online on a Monday night monthly. And it's been great to have them and get to know them a bit. That's right. It's fabulous. So it'd be, I'm looking forward to seeing them in the flesh over here at some point, the Lord mm-hmm. willing. That would be fantastic. Just 83, many of us won't know what that is or how that operates. What does it stand for? I'm guessing Atlantic Training. The Alliance for Transatlantic Theological Training. Brilliant. Makes perfect sense. Um, So what they want to do, it's, it's just great because, again, as a migrant, I think I can say that London is extremely diverse. There is a huge opportunity here for missionaries to be making disciples of all nations. Mm. However, this diversity brings with it complexities that you can't get (laughs) training anywhere else. You need to be here on the ground to see how complex this place is. So uh, AT3 wants to do is to give, uh, especially Americans, an opportunity to come yeah. settle in in a local church to get to know the culture. The language is the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the culture is yeah, yeah. totally different. Yeah, yeah. So it's to give, to give missionaries the opportunity to understand the context. And they're doing their theology online through coordinated groups, through union. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Mm-hmm. And the community, learning communities, mm-hmm. that's how they call it. Yeah. yeah. It's worth us actually touching on something you're doing now, mm-hmm. um, which is that you're working with a London project. That's right. Uh, so with Germa mm-hmm. uh, and uh, with Neil and the mm-hmm. team there. Why don't you say a little bit about that and why you're doing that? I think that's that. I think that's brilliant. It's collaborative. Yeah. Yeah. Say a bit more on that. Um, so the London project is is a new initiative um, from city to city, which is the sort of Tim Keller's Tim ministry Keller. out in New York and yeah. wanting to see city-based ministry across the world. That's right, yeah. yeah. Especially in places like London, a global city. Yeah. All we want to do is to support what God is already doing here in London. We are not going to be starting up anything. All we want to do is to be supporting organizations such as Commission. What are you doing? How can we help you to keep blessing London as a city? My role with, with the London Project is to work as a city catalyst. 
you correct me the other day because I was talking about networking and you talked about being a catalyst. You, so you're a catalyst, not a networker. What, what's the distinction between those and two? And I would say network is basically you making connections mm. with strangers in order to get some benefits out of those connections. Yeah. Um, a catalyst work in a, on the opposite way. So a, a catalyst would make connections to convene those connections. So uh, what I want you to do is I want you to get in contact with people, assess where they are, assess what they do, and think, who are the people who could be helping this, my, this new contact mm. to get better in what they are doing? So I would br bring these people together then, to sit down together, to, to have conversations together, to spend time together, to become friends, mm -hmm. with the aim of seeing new initiatives coming out of those conversations as a result. Mm -hmm. So I would say my role is to connect, convene, and facilitate. Yeah. And that's what the London Project wants to do. So th th that explains why I'm now getting about an email about once a week from you in order to meet someone uh, yeah. and for us to have conversations because you think there's mutual benefit in us interacting. And not only for you, but for the person I might be connecting you, you with because we all have blind spots, Perks. Mm. When we are in contact with someone who is different from us, we can see that. Which is, which is the hidden, unseen work in an intercultural church that mm -hmm. makes intercultural church mm -hmm. so thoroughly demanding mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because there isn't an established we do things this way because everyone brings their own way of doing things, whether they recognize it or not, which is part of what your life is. Yes, right. And, and again, London is extremely diverse and we can only reach the diversity of London with a, a huge diverse kind of uh, churches mm. working together. So when I, when I convene those kind of connections, uh, we want to be learning with one another. So, yeah, the London Project doesn't come to say this is the way you should be doing now. Can we have a conversation and learn with, uh, with each other here how we can be doing ministry here in a city like London in a, in a very effective way, in a faithful way, but also in a fruitful way? We want to see growth. And in order to do that, we, we need to be helping one another. Yeah, yeah that's helpful. Well, look, we're, we're delighted that you're working part-time um, for the London Project. If, um, if people wanted to connect uh, with you guys, Mosaic, find out more about you, how could they do that? So our website is mosaicmulticulturechurch.org. You have a good online presence from what I remember. Are you on Instagram? Uh, yeah. You're on Facebook, aren't you? That's right. Do you have a Twitter account? Yes. <laughs> Are they all the same? If you just through Mosaic Multicultural, yeah, they'll Multicultural all come Mosaic Church, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And maybe on TikTok. I are need you, to ask you, my daughter. I was going to say. Uh, probably, yeah. If we you're might. on TikTok, it's not your doing. <laughs> that, presumably that's Zara. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. I the collection of, um, there's a, you know, a small collection of teenage girls engaging meaningfully. That was, that was impressive. That's you right. Thought those girls, if they're evangelists to their peers. And... This is what I want to see. I mean, I'm in my 40s now. I know I don't have a long time. And I would love to see the second and third generation taking over. This mm. is what I want to see, Perks. Yeah. If, if I die knowing that the second generation of migrants see Mosaic as their church and they feel um, comfortable inviting their non-Christians to come and see what we are doing, I would die 
a happy man. Mm. If we don't know the future, mate, you're in your 40s. You've got decades, the Lord willing, of ministry left. So, you know. I've got this sense of urgency in me, man, that I I don't know. I mean, church planting is tiring, but you've not (laughs) aged that badly, for goodness sake. Um, Yeah, fantastic. Um, Well, look, Alex, it's been brilliant to to talk, to hear about um, all that the Lord is doing through you and through the team at Mosaic. We will continue to pray for you. Good Thank on you. you. You're a great example and a challenge to all of us. Um, Thank you. I love your evangelistic heart. I love your desire to want to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's our prayer, our continual prayer that he will work through you uh, to grow the kingdom. And, and we pray, you know, plant an established church in Elephant and Castle that can be of real benefit to people who come here for whom this is not, has not been their historic home, but it, but it is their future and it is their children's future. What you guys are doing, I think, is wonderful. And a brilliant opportunity for us to learn how to reach the entirety of London, which is our heart's desire. We don't want any Londoner to miss out on the possibility of hearing the gospel in a language that they can understand, in a way that they can stand from people that they trust. So what you guys are doing on the ground is brilliant. Yeah, and I thank Co-Mission for that. Because if it wasn't for your support as an organization, your support as a mentor, supervisor, I don't know, we... Yeah. I wouldn't be able to do what we are doing right now. Oh, it's our pleasure. Alex, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, Thank you. We'll continue to pray for you and for Alawana and for the girls and for all that you're doing at Mosaic. Thank you. Well, Perks, what did you make of that? I love talking to Alex. I come away with two conflicting feelings invariably. One is he challenges me. I think because um, he is committed and he's passionate uh, and he is brilliant and he works hard. And and so I feel I come away feeling challenged that you know, he is doing um, brilliant gospel work in the trenches, on the front line, trying to reach people with the good news of the gospel and trying to grow a church at the same time. That's the That's the one side. The other side is I end up on his behalf, I think frustrated and somewhat, it's probably overstating it to say I'm frustrated with the Lord, but I wonder why they've not seen kind of growth that the kind of effort he's put into it might merit. And I'm frustrated for him that um, they've, they've not gone further and faster than they've been able to go. I guess, yeah, this is one of those aspects of church planting where we run into our first case of where it's, you know, things aren't smooth sailing and there is real challenges associated with it. And that's part of the, that's part of the adventure. That's part of the path God puts us on um, when people are getting started in church planting. I think that's right. And I think, I think everyone in ministry would say, look, ministry is tough, but I think that the way in which Alex has wanted to do it means that the sort of the the the, the toughness uh, measure is sort of is, is a, a click or two further up the scale and and I think that's largely because the way in which he's wanted to plant has been through a pioneering model so in other words in the earliest days it they were the church family you know just just the mm. the Brito family and when you're doing pioneering church planting um, and you you've moved from overseas so you haven't got the network here um, it's harder, isn't it, to build a launch team um, and to get that that sort of that critical mass where you can begin to do stuff. You're trying to 
evangelize and recruit at the same time that that's tricky so you've got a mm. number of things that are not playing in your favor now as alex i think makes clear in that in the interview in the early days they were literally going their, their numbers they're stuck in my head were 50 12 4 and it was essentially you'd have 50 people come through their language classes uh, which were non-evangelistic but friendship building they'd have 12 into a sort of Christianity explored type course uh, where they'd be engaging with the gospel and then sort of four people would come from that into a, a sort of a house church gathering uh, in Norwood Junction. Mm. And um, and those were the numbers. But then inevitably those four people, because they were, they were unconverted and not making perhaps gospel decisions, would say to themselves, hang on a second, I really need a roof over my head and money in my bank account because I've got to put food on the table. Yeah. And so if someone offers them a house, somewhere to live, someone offers them a job, they would move, which is which is why... Yeah, anybody would. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, first-generation migrants who were coming over would say, it, it's more important to me that I get those things sorted, and therefore they'd move, and they'd relocate to, a, to another church mm. elsewhere, which which was behind the move to, to, to Elephant and Castle, a sort of a more geographically located place to do an intercultural work. Um, and then... And, and then there was COVID, um, you know, for mm. two years. But, I mean, every week you will see Alex out there with a little team of people um, in, intentionally trying to reach people with the gospel, open up conversations um, and getting stuck into the local community. So I just think it's it's a real challenge to those of us who whose ministry lives look, look a little bit different. He's out there doing the hard work trying to grow a church. And I think it, it encourages me and it challenges me. And I, I'd love for the Lord to give them opportunities for the people they reach to come in and stick and that local church community to, to grow and be strengthened. Yeah, absolutely. Trying to find, like you said, that solid core church planting team being the stable element in that. Because as you say, starting a church says directed at migrants and people who are in, you know, in transition in life, wherever it is, geographically, financially, there is that sense of like, how do we, how do we love these people in the place they're at right now in the best way? And having that, that core team is so critical for that because they provide the, if we get into the nitty gritty, the, the financial stability of the church, just have a solid place for people to rest, learn the Lord while they're there. Maybe they're there for a couple months, maybe they're there for a year. Uh, whatever it is that they're being poured solidly into, wherever life takes them. I mean, London, on some level overall, is a slower version of that, essentially, the churn of people that come in and out of here. Um, I'm one of them. So I'm here for X number of years to serve the Lord. And then, you know, I may go back. But, and this is our heart for London and coming here, the best place strategically to reach the nations may be the city. Because people come here, they work for some years, support their family back home, wherever that is. Uh, and then and then go back. And if we're able to share the love of Christ with them while they're here, what a huge move for for the Lord to get the word out there across the across the nations. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the just to return to your original point, I agree with that. I think the presence of a launch team does provide you with a degree of stability. Um, and inevitably, if you're planting in a pioneer entrepreneurial type model, you haven't got that, and therefore words like risk and uncertainty apply disproportionately to that context you you, mm. you know there's so much that is uncertain nothing's a given for them i mean in one sense there's nothing a given in church nothing's a given in church planting nothing's a given in ministry um but it's especially not a given when 
you haven't got a small team that you know will be there in six months, probably be there in a year, 18 months, who are committed and aren't going anywhere. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what's been wonderful about the two families that, that Alex mentioned in the interview. Mm-hmm. They've been challenged and the Lord has led them to to want to commit to what's going on in Elephant and Castle. And that just adds an, yeah. added, an added level of stability. Building that stable root system in a church of families yeah. that are there for a long time. Yeah, you can, you can build from that, can't you? But wonderfully, in God's provision, they've got a couple of, of families who are are committed, um, and in particular, the, the the Lowe's helping them share that burden of stuff on a Sunday is great. So we finished the formal part of, of church. Alex, Alawana, others, we're all having that sort of informal tea, coffee, chat, catch up. And over in the corner is a, is a Bible study that's helping those for whom English is not their first language, who are struggling a little bit with English to sort of go over the sermon. And that's being run by the Lowe's, mm. you know. So Alex can do the the meet and greet stuff, the the sort of the, the meaningful relationship building and help with integration but someone else is sharing the load. And, you know, that's mm. that's that's multiplication right there. That's what you want. And that's what you don't get if you haven't got a launch team. Mm. Alex, uh, he made a statement saying, you know, he loves taking risks in ministry because God gets all the glory. And what a great heart to have for that. I mean, that's that's it. We're taking risks not for ourselves or for our own glory, but for God's glory. And sometimes that works out wonderfully. And sometimes there's a lot of challenges with that. I mean, a shout out. I mean, I, I just, I think there's, I think it was one of the best developed plans. Mm. I mean, it was a well-executed plan. I mean, we, he talks about the difference between having a plan on paper and putting the plan into practice. And then there's the kind of, when the plan encounters people, I think it was a, it was a brilliant plan. He executed it really well, but the, the people that you might've hoped who would come through that, that pathway and that pipeline weren't sufficient to sort of generate that momentum. Um, but the move, I think the move to, to um, Elephant and Castle, the fact they're in a church building now, there is stability there. Yeah. There's, visibility, there's visibility, so people get to see them, not only during the week during Elephant and Castle, but actually on a Sunday as well. And I think it's a, it, you know, you're hoping that this is a solid base from which they can, they can grow because the, the quality of the gospel ministry, I think, is terrific. Yeah, well, that's a, we can be praying for them. Everybody listening, if you want to get involved in this, be praying for Alex and Mosaic Multicultural to get their, their feet set. Be praying for these planters, these pastors, as we're interviewing them. That's one of the best ways you can get involved in gospel ministry. No, I, think, I, th- I think you're right to have, have people praying would be a wonderful contribution. Well, that's it from us here on this episode. Join us in our next one coming soon as Perks and I circle back and chat about some of the common threads we've heard from these pastors and talk about what church planning looks like in London and how you can get involved. Thanks for listening.